Uh, let's pray. We're going to get into God's Word today, and we are in our series, How Do We Grow? So let's pray. Father, thank you for everyone on this, in this room and everybody watching online. We pray that we would have a, a greater glimpse of you today in, in your, your fullness of who you are as revealed in your word. And as we uh, just look at a, a somewhat challenging and abstract truth in your word, we pray it would become real and tangible and life-changing for all of us. And Holy Spirit, I ask for your help uh, to preach and proclaim your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if I haven't met you yet, um, either online or in the room, my name is Joe, uh, one of the pastors here, and look forward to getting to meet you hopefully today. Well, uh, you all have been very encouraging in this series, so we've gotten a lot of good feedback. Uh, one of the things we, we love to, to do is to hear from you when we preach. So not just on the positive, but if you have questions, uh, critiques, hey, I don't see where you got that uh, from the passage, all of that is completely welcome, um, not just in the series, but anytime any one of us preaches. Like I said, I got a lot of encouraging feedback. I did get one somewhat scathing critique that I have a feeling a number of you in the room actually share this critique, but didn't have the courage that Ben Murphy did to express it. So let me, let me just settle this once for all. If we could have that image I've been showing every week. So here we have a tree, and then we have an object in that person's hand. And the scathing critique came with a question from Ben after I was done preaching last Sunday. He, he said this. He asked this question. How do you say A-C-O-R-N? And I said, egg corn. And then he said, how do you spell that word? And I said, E-G-G-C-O-R-N, egg corn. Well, apparently a lot of you have not caught this illustration because you've been tripping up on my mispronunciation of the word acorn that I've been practicing with Ben Murphy. Uh, that's what we did. Sunday after church, he'd say it, I'd say it, acorn. Now, still a challenging word for me to say. Uh, I'm from eastern Pennsylvania, so I'm going to blame that on my upbringing. Uh, while we're on the subject, I can say, unlike probably many in this room, and my wife included, I can say the words still and steal. They sound like two different words, because they are, and pull and pull. So there are a few of us from Eastern Pennsylvania. I am your representation. Um, so now that we're cleared up, the purpose of that illustration of the acorn um, and the oak tree is to have an image of spiritual growth, that as we respond to the Lord with the truths that we're learning, we will grow. And the, the vision, the picture that God wants of us is to have deep roots in His Word. And as we do, we will grow uh, vibrant for him and have an impact um, for him in our community, our neighborhood, our families, our workplace. So that's the image. Please bring your feedback. Like I said, I'm from eastern Pennsylvania, and uh, you all know this. 
uh, Western Pennsylvania and Eastern Pennsylvania are like two different states in some ways uh, culturally. Now, one thing I think we do share in common is a love for the sport of wrestling. I went to Dallastown Area High School in York, Pennsylvania, and at the time, in the 90s, it was a powerhouse of wrestling, the sport of wrestling, and had been for decades. So if you go into the gym at Dallastown Area High School, you would see banner after banner after banner of victories and success of wrestlers throughout the decades. Now, wrestling, maybe for all of you, is not a super big popular sport, but for some of you, I know you like wrestling. So if you've never been to a wrestling match, um, picture a gym, like a basketball court gym. You have a wrestling mat in the middle. You have fans, pre-COVID, sitting on either side of the stadium, just like you would a basketball game. And then opposite the wrestling match are chairs with the wrestlers sitting um, across from each other. So one team's on one side, the other team's on the other side, and they're just waiting. And so they go one by one in their weight class. Well, at least where I grew up, and I think it's true here too, most wrestlers, when they come out to wrestle, they come out running. So they leave the chairs and they sprint to their opponent and then they get in their stance and they're just ready to go. Not so with my high school. Because they were such a good wrestling program, what they did when they were coming from their side, here's what they did. I actually watched a video of this to make sure my memory was correct. Um, they walk real slow and while they're walking, they are just staring into the souls of their opponents. And it didn't matter if they were 103 pounds or 275 pounds. They were just, they had the death stare. And as they were walking, and then they'd slowly put out their hand, and basically the look was, you're about to get crushed. You're about to get clobbered. And while they're walking out, behind them are all of these banners. And so the feel that was always in the room was this weight of uh, kind of a sense of, all and fear that opponents would experience when they walked in the gym. You didn't come here for a lesson on Eastern Pennsylvania speech and wrestling culture. But the point is, this will tie into what we're talking about today, there was a sense of awe, a sense of fear that was imposed upon the opponent. Today we're going to talk about a, a difficult subject to get our minds around, and the reason is because it has the word fear in it. See, we're going to talk about the subject of the fear of the Lord. The challenge is, when we think of fear, when you and I think of fear, we most always think of negative things. You might think of a wrestling opponent. You might think of a, a dog that looks intimidating. You might think of um, bad news from a doctor. You might think of just, just bad things that come to mind. Fear in our daily lives is often not thought of as a positive. But when Scripture talks about this very specific ingredient to spiritual growth, it's talking about it in a very positive way. And the subject is the fear of the Lord. And the title, and really the aim of this morning, is this. I want you to experience the joy and freedom of fearing God, experiencing the joy and freedom of fearing God. See, probably 
most of us, if not all of us, when we think of the word fear, we don't also put it with joy and freedom. But the Bible does. And I'm going to make a case from the Bible today that the fear of the Lord is a vital ingredient to our spiritual growth. We've got three main points today, and they are this. The fear of the Lord is vital to our spiritual growth. The fear of the Lord is the pathway to joy and freedom. And the fear of the Lord must be cultivated. First point, the fear of the Lord is vital to our spiritual growth. It is absolutely vital. Let me just read four passages from the book of Proverbs on our subject. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So there's some powerful statements about the fear of the Lord. If you want to be wise and skilled to live in this world that we find ourselves in, the fear of the Lord is the, the ground level of learning to become wise. The fear of the Lord is to the Christian like Spanish 101 is to a Spanish student who's learning the language of Spanish. Or the fear of the Lord is to a math student like survey of mathematics is to the Christian faith. The fear of the Lord is this basic, foundational, important truth that often we sort of skip over. We, we kind of end up in like Spanish 201 and forgot to take Spanish 102 and 101. And so we, we jump steps. And when we jump steps, it, we miss out on a really, really, really important subject that is vital to our spiritual growth. So what is this thing? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Here's a definition that I worked on from many things that I read. The fear of the Lord is the accurate recognition, understanding, and belief in who the Bible says that God is in all of His attributes. So it's the accurate recognition, understanding, and belief in who the Bible says God is in all of His attributes, in all of His qualities. It recognizes that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, absolutely sovereign, faithful, loving, merciful, long-suffering, and the maker of heaven and earth. I think in our day and age, probably one of the most neglected attributes of God that's often not talked about is God's holiness, God's otherness, God's complete purity and justice and majesty. And to, to prepare us a little bit, I want to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 6. Because in this vision that Isaiah has, we get a glimpse of the holiness and otherness of God. 
And as we're going to see this morning, we don't want to lose sight of who God is. And, and we, we love the fact that He's faithful. We love the fact that He's loving. We love the fact that He's merciful and gracious. But we don't ever want to miss and forget that He is holy. This is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Kings sit on thrones. The King of kings is sitting on this throne. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim, these these creatures. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. With two He flew. And one called to another in this three-way repetition as to like bold and italicize and underline it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. So what's happening here? Isaiah is a chosen prophet of Israel. We would, if, we, if we knew him, if he was our neighbor, we would think, man, this is an upstanding, godly, God-fearing man. Well, this godly, upstanding, God-fearing man has a vision of the living God. And one of the effects of that vision is I am unclean. As soon as he saw a glimpse of God's holiness, he saw how far short he fell in compared to God's standard. And that's one of the effects as we, as we begin to see God in His holiness and how awesome and mighty He is. We see that we fall way short. And that should drive us to Jesus God's perfect provision for sinners who fall way short. In preparing for this, we always send our messages out to the other pastors for feedback, and Jason sent me uh, some helpful feedback. And one thing, he says, you got to check out this Bible Project um, YouTube video on the holiness of God, and they have an analogy of the sun to to illustrate the fear of the Lord. So I'm hijacking this from uh, that video. So the fear of the Lord is a bit abstract. It's hard for us to get our minds around. And one of the things the Gospel Project guys said was, imagine, just picture the sun as an analogy for the fear of the Lord. The sun is this radiant ball of fire that pr- provides great warmth and life for many in its reach, particularly the planet Earth, particularly us. And Because the sun is there, we have life, and we have it abundantly. We have all kinds of creatures that are alive and well. We have rain, we have snow, we have seasons. And the sun 
day after day. It's just doing its part. Well, if it were possible, and let's say Elon Musk accomplishes this, we get a a craft that we can get in and we're going to fly to the sun, there will be a point where we get too close to the sun. And what will happen when we get too close to the sun? We will be no longer. We will be vaporized by the heat of the sun. Well, God, in some ways, like every analogy, it breaks down a bit, but in some ways, God is like that. The holiness of God that's described in the Old Testament is not describing a different God than we know in the New Testament or that we worship present day. See, God is holy. And having a grasp of His character, particularly this attribute, is vital to spiritual growth. My first encounter with the holiness of God actually happened before I was a Christian. For about four or five months before I became a Christian as a freshman heading into my sophomore year of IUP, I began to experience great conviction of sin. Began to read the Bible some because I wanted to get this bad feeling off of me. And I remember reading and thinking and looking at the stars and feeling so guilty for all the sinful things I was doing. I didn't change, felt guilty, began to read the Bible. And so by the time I came back for the second semester of my sophomore year, it had been about three weeks ago uh, in January, three weeks ago, 20-some years ago, um, in the middle of winter, I come back, and if you would have interviewed me about who God is and about what humans are like, particularly me, here's what I would have said. God is holy. God is awesome. God is mighty. I am sinful. I am guilty. And God is rightly going to send me to hell. That was my understanding of the living God. What I didn't know yet was why Jesus came to earth. But the Lord had so plowed my heart and my mind that the fear of the Lord really was, even pre-conversion, the beginning of wisdom for me. Beginning of pathway of life. See, God is holy. He is the great judge. His requirements are perfection. And we're not perfect. And so that should give us a sense of awe and a sense of fear. It's interesting, in the New Testament, we we often think about the stories that are true accounts of Jesus sitting down with sinners and and bringing salvation to them, and, and they are wonderful, and they are absolutely true. But sometimes we forget that there were moments where He would pull back the curtain and people get a glimpse of his greatness and his incredible otherness, and it would have an effect on people. One such occasion was an early morning when they were at sea or near the beach, and Peter shows up, or Jesus shows up and calls out to Peter and says, Peter, let's go fishing again. And Peter says, No, Lord, we've been fishing all night. We're tired. We caught nothing. But listen to what happens. We're going to go out of order a little bit. We're going to start at verse 5 here. And Simon answered, Master, 
We toiled all night and took nothing. Didn't catch a fish. But at your word, I will let down the nets. I'm going to obey you, Jesus. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. So he, he obeys Jesus. He puts the nets in the water. And a large amount of fish go inside the nets. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. A huge catch. The only explanation for that huge catch was Jesus himself and his deity somehow arranged for all those fish that were created through him long ago to go into this net. And listen to Peter's response. It wasn't, we're going to make a lot of money fishing this week. That wasn't his response. It was this. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, it's going to sound very much like Isaiah, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, Peter caught a glimpse that this Jesus who is walking among us and doing miracles is none other than God Himself. Depart from me. I'm unclean. Very similar response to Isaiah. See, the fear of the Lord should have an effect on us. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Listen to this proverb. We don't have to wonder about this definition. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So in other words, to fear the Lord is to hate what He hates. Not just to not do it, but to have a repulsion for it. How do we know what God hates? We know it from God's Word. So the question is, do we, do you and I, do we hate what God hates? And do we love what God loves? The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord is rightly recognizing God as a loving, caring Father. So if you have trusted in Jesus, you have been adopted as a son or daughter. God is your Father. He loves you. He cares for you. But He is still holy. He's still other than us. And so we want to be aware of that. We want to have, that should have an effect on us to, agree, to a degree. I remember when I was probably 14 or 15 years old, I had um, a job where I would mow lawns for, for people in local neighborhoods. And so I had about four or five lawn mowing jobs that um, I would ride my bike to and then I would mow their lawns. And one, I think it was a Saturday morning, I woke up and I thought, I don't feel like mowing lawns today. I feel like playing basketball with my friend Brent Peters. And so that's exactly what I did. Now the problem was one of my clients was my dad's coworker named Miss Rachel. And I and Miss Rachel said it was time for Joey, they call me Joey, to, to mow the lawn. And uh, I decided not to. So I'm happily playing one-on-one -on -one basketball with my friend Brent Peters for hours. 
and in rose my dad's brown Mercury Marquis station wagon into the driveway. The door swings open, I get in. No words are exchanged. Within 15 minutes, I am mowing Miss Rachel's lawn. Why, what happened there? Well, my dad wanted me, he had, he had vision for me. His vision was this goof-off 14-year-old will one day, Lord willing, become a responsible member of society. And part of that responsible membership includes doing your responsibilities, like doing your job that you get paid to do. And so he was, in a loving but firm way, correcting me. And I really, honestly, he might remember, I don't remember any words being exchanged. I don't remember any voices being raised. I didn't fight it. I don't think he had to say much. And there I was, mowing the lawn. Well, part of the fear of the Lord for a Christian is to realize that we are God's children. And just like a loving mom or dad disciplines their kids because they love them, God our Father will discipline us when we go astray. Jerry Bridges, um, a well-known author, teacher who is now with the Lord, has said on numerous occasions, sometimes God just has to take you to the woodshed. Sometimes he just, you got to get spanked. Depending on what we're doing, sometimes you might be there longer than you want to be. But sometimes, because God, our loving Father, will take us to the woodshed. Listen to this passage from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Keep in mind, this is in the context of fearing the Lord and growing spiritually healthy. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. See, discipline is an expression of love. We're going out of the boundaries. God wants us to stay in the boundaries. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Like what kind of parent would not discipline their children, the author is saying. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be the subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So if you are a Christian, and you've gone out of bounds from God's word, there may be some discipline, some consequence from the Lord that is coming. That, that is not a pleasant feeling. But the long-term results are beautiful. And they are joy-producing. And they are freeing. So it seems painful rather than pleasant, but it, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, this morning one of my prayers has been 
Lord, teach us this subject. Lord, there, there may be some here that, that need to experience the loving discipline of their Father so that one day there will be this, this harvest of righteousness as you respond. See, it's possible to be disciplined over and over again and just grow hard and cold and callous. Like the, the word we heard today of just going back into the tomb, into the grave where death and decay live. But there's a much better picture when we respond to God's correction. Lord, I have sinned. Lord, please forgive me. Please change me. Please give me friends who can pray for me, encourage me, and help me so that I can experience freedom. God disciplines those He loves. And one of the reasons is so that you could have joy and freedom. It's our second point. The fear of the Lord is the pathway to joy and freedom. Having an accurate recognition of God will have this freeing effect on your minds and hearts. It really will keep you in the bounds of God's Word, which will then in turn give you joy and freedom that you don't have to keep going back. Philippians 2 says this, Therefore God has exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to, to work for His good pleasure. This is New Testament language. Work out your your salvation with fear and trembling and awareness of the holiness and character of God. Now, some of you might be getting spun around a little bit. Didn't you say one of the first parts of this series that we're to rest in what Jesus has done? That we're just to rest and, boy, I like that. That was nice. I was resting. I was experiencing the joy and peace of resting. I'm not taking back what I taught that first or second week. But while we rest in the finished work of Christ that really has once for all opened the way so we can have a relationship with God the Father. So we can be forgiven and covered and justified and declared righteous and clothed in His perfection. All that is true. But while all that is true, it is also true that God is holy and great and just and hates evil, and is fully aware of all that is happening in our own lives and our own world. And so we need to have an awareness of that. Kind of like today, though cold here, it was great to see the sun. We can enjoy it. But we can't get close to it without some kind of covering and protection. God the Father is loving and merciful but He's also holy. And His provision for protection for us so that we can approach Him in His holiness 
24 hours a day, seven days a week, is faith alone in Jesus alone. And so when you're in that, you're safe and secure. But we don't ever want to forget what He's like. See, when we truly fear the Lord, we know Jesus alone is our hope of salvation. Jesus alone is the one who can make unclean people clean. See, part of really grasping the fear of the Lord really drives you to Jesus. If somebody really grasps the holiness of God, they realize that all other religions and philosophies known to man do not solve the problem of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity. Only Jesus can bridge that. Only Jesus can solve that great dilemma. And so when we fear the Lord, we are free to put our hope in Jesus. Not hope in ourselves. Not hope in our ability to keep a certain set of rules and standards, but to fully put our weight on Jesus Christ alone, who is perfect, who was fully God, who hung and bled and died on the cross, absorbing God's wrath and holiness on our behalf. And then on the third day, He rose from the grave so that we could be free. See, only the fear of the Lord will drive you to trust in a Savior. When we fear the Lord, we are going to be quick or quicker to turn away from sin and temptation. See, the fear of the Lord has this healthy awareness of the Lord who knows all and sees all. And so when sin comes or temptation comes, it's kind of like my dad rolling in the driveway of Brent Peter's house. Oh yeah, I have a dad and I have consequences if I do what I'm not supposed to do. Well, having awareness of the fear of the Lord will guard you. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you what is, that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but when the temptation comes, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So how this works is, let's say, a temptation comes. Let's say you're just lividly angry at one of your children. You're, I mean, the volcano is it's boiling. It's about, to, it's about to blow. And then you remember something from what you read in your Bible in the morning or the day before. You remember, oh, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Everywhere. He's in my house. He sees what I'm about to do. And then the volcano will calm. It will, it will, it will come down. And you don't give in to it. And the Lord gives you victory. And the Holy Spirit helps you. And you know what the result is? There's joy and peace that wouldn't be there if you just spewed all over one of your children once again. And then you can go back and you can ask forgiveness, but the damage is done and you feel like about this big. But see, the fear of the Lord can have this restraining effect on you. When we truly fear the Lord, we are quick to confess and repent of our sin. Let me say that again. When we fear the Lord, we are, we are going to be much quicker to confess our sin and repent of our sin, to turn from our sin. David, when he had sinned in, in adultery and 
also in plotting the, the murder of Bathsheba's husband that he had committed adultery with, uh, he eventually comes to his senses through Nathan the prophet. And eventually he writes the following in Psalm 51, having uh, a full awareness of the gravity of his sin against a holy God. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. So he's aware of his guilt. He's aware of how great his guilt is. And he's pleading with the Lord. And then he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, in one sense, what he just said there is not entirely true. He did sin against Bathsheba. He did sin against her husband. He did sin against um, his, his men that he was supposed to be in charge of. He had many failings, but what he was most aware of was when I've sinned, I've sinned against you, Lord. I sinned against my Maker. I, I sinned against the One, if this is us writing, who sent His Son to live and die in my place. Lord, would You please have mercy on me? Lord, would You please forgive me? See, when we sin, when we rebel as Christians and we step out of that circle of safety of God's revealed word of obedience, we have a lot of horizontal problems usually when we do that. We have relational problems. We, there's usually other people involved. But we have a much bigger problem. We've sinned against the God of heaven and earth. And so the starting point is to get right with Him. See, when we fear the Lord... It will have an effect on our use of technology. Phones, computers, internet. It will have an effect on what we look at and what we engage in and what we indulge in. If you wonder why you keep giving in to certain sins, let's say through technology, one of the reasons is because in those moments you lack an accurate and full awareness of the holiness of God. You're not fearing God in that moment. You're not believing that He actually knows all and sees all. And so you need to confess that to Him. You need to ask the Lord for help. Those of you who have struggled with pornography, with technology, there can be software that's really helpful. But sinful people are slippery and sinful people always find a back door to sin. And so... Though those can be tools that help, just like NA and AA groups can be tools that help people to become sober, ultimately we need a greater vision and view of the Lord. And it will have a preserving, protecting effect. We must fear the Lord in our use of technology. We must fear the Lord with our speech and our interactions with others. So let's start in our homes. If you have a healthy fear of the Lord, it should have a restraining effect on what comes out of your mouth. If you have a healthy fear of the Lord, it should have an effect on what comes out of your fingertips 
when you're typing or when you're texting or when you're writing on someone's post on some social media thing. It's good to engage in subjects, but how we engage as followers of Jesus matters. We must fear the Lord. We must fear the Lord in all areas of morality. Drug and alcohol abuse misuse. Sexual abuse misuse. Indulgence. Whatever it would be. All of those categories matter to the Lord. His gaze is upon us as His sons and daughters if we know Him. We must fear the Lord with our finances. Tax season is coming. Fear the Lord with how you fill out your taxes. I mean, think of it this way. One of the things that I did not know that was possible until I became a Christian was a clear conscience. I had lied so much. I stole stuff. I cheated. I did all kinds of stuff. And because of that, you start to get confused about what's true and what's not true. And so as a 19-year-old, when Jesus saved me and clean-slated all my wrongs, and I had a clear conscience, it was like this beautiful, wonderful experience. I could go to bed. I could get up. I didn't have to worry about anything because I came clean. The call, the push in the fear of the Lord is to come clean and When you come clean, there will be joy. There will be freedom. It will be unpleasant. It reminds me of when I was younger. I broke my arm three different times. Two times were really bad, and they had to to set my arms. It was so bad, my parents were asked to not be in the room when it would happen. And it hurt like crazy. But it needed to happen. If it didn't happen my arm would not be working the way it does today. It would be all deformed. There are times in our lives as Christians where God has to reset things. And I believe this could be one of those times. We must fear the Lord in our marriages. How we relate to our spouse. How we talk about our spouse. How we think about our spouse. How we treat our spouse. Think of it this way. If you're a Christian married to a Christian, when you do something sinful in speech or action to your wife, you're doing something sinful to God's daughter. I mean, those of us have daughters, you have this this just innate protection that is different than sons. It just is. I don't know why. Well, the Lord has that too. And so we must fear the Lord. We must fear the Lord in our parenting. The goal of parenting is is not so we have peaceful lives. It's not so we have clean houses. I like a peaceful life. I'm a little messy, but a somewhat clean house is fine. Um, But sometimes in our parenting, we can be so bent on those kind of things that we just know we want our kids to know and fear and love the living God. No matter the category, memorize this verse. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, 
That, that gaze is one of a father. It's one of a father who loves you dearly. But it's one of a father who doesn't want you to go astray. I mean, read the Old Testament. It's just these grieving statements from the Lord that Israel has once again gone away to other gods. Gone to things that they thought would satisfy that wouldn't satisfy. Remember, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. If you're not a Christian, you will not escape the Lord's judgment. One day we will all die and meet the Lord face to face. And the only hope and protection on that day is that we are hidden in another. That we are in Jesus Christ. That we have put our trust. We have turned from our sins and said, Jesus, I believe you took my place on the cross. And we hide and find safety in that. If you haven't done that, today I plead with you, respond to Jesus Christ. Lastly, the fear of the Lord must be cultivated. Just some practical thoughts as we close here. How do we cultivate it? Well, one way we cultivate it is by reading and studying the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. God has not changed. What has changed is the new covenant, the clarity of Jesus coming, Jesus making a fulfilling the law so we no longer have to go to temples we no longer have to follow all the laws in leviticus we can go right to jesus so the way is much clearer but god's character has not changed see we cultivate the fear of the lord by studying who he is and what he's like i'm going to guess take a stab in the dark here that probably most of you didn't read leviticus 10 recently Show of hands, anyone? Some of you on a Bible program, you might be in Leviticus. If you are, good job hanging in there. You can make it through Leviticus and you'll, you'll be out of there soon. But in Leviticus, the beauty of Leviticus, if you can get past some of the strange things that are described there, is that the big idea is we are to be holy because God is holy. In Leviticus 10, we get the story of Nadab and Abahu who do something that it's maybe hard for us to get our minds around, but they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. And the holiness of the Lord consumed them. They died instantly. Like that. And their father Aaron, his response is submission to the Lord. See, they went outside of God's bounds. In the book of Acts, in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, they sell property. And then they lie about their use of the money. And immediately, one by one, Ananias first, Sapphira second, the Lord ends their life. He says they, they didn't lie to the people so much, they lied to the Holy Spirit, to the holy God of the universe. We cultivate the fear of the Lord when we think about who God is. And I don't know how else to say it, but this is one of the most freeing, joyful teachings in the Bible because it will protect you. Those of you who know from experience what it's like to indulge in sin and get all tangled up, you know that at first there may be some temporary pleasure, but then there's just wreckage all around. 
There's guilt, there's shame, there's lying, there's hiding. There's no freedom. There's no joy. And so you, as you cultivate this appreciation for the fear of the Lord, you will grow in freedom and joy. In addition to the Bible, two book recommendations that I recommend for you to read is one, The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, and two, The Joy of Fearing God by Jerry Bridges. Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, Joy of Fearing God by Jerry Bridges. They're both getting at this subject from two different angles that will help us. Last thing I want us to think about in cultivating the fear of the Lord, we cultivate the fear of the Lord by giving deep thought to what happened when Jesus hung and died on the cross. See, we really don't need to look any further than the events of Easter. Because if you think about what happened in those moments, we have a perfect man who is fully God that came to earth and did miracle after miracle and brought salvation healing, and restoration to people. He then was crucified for sins that he did not commit. And we learn in Isaiah 53, it says, it was the Lord's will to crush him. It was the Lord's will that Jesus the Son would be crushed by God the Father. Why would that be? Well, so that what Paul writes in Romans could be true, that God is both the just and the justifier. He's the judge, but he's also the one who can justify or declare righteous those who are guilty like you and I. And it all centers around what Jesus accomplished on the cross. The holiness of God was on full display as wrath was poured out. The love of God was on even a greater display as Jesus willingly sacrificed his life and experienced unimaginable pain and sorrow for sins that he did not commit that were credited to him. And God the Father accepts the payment in full. And Jesus rises from the grave, conquering sin and death. But boy, does it make a loud statement about the seriousness of sin and our rebellion. And so, even just thinking about what Jesus has done for us, on the cross will help you to grow in the fear of the Lord and have a fresh appreciation for Jesus and the Holy Spirit will enable us to obey Him. And when we obey Him, there will be more joy and more freedom. The band could come up this time and you guys could all stand. And we're going to pray. just want to read Proverbs 9, verse 10, one more time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Father, we thank you that you are all the attributes that we talked about. You are all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty, loving, kind, merciful, holy. You are the great judge, and yet you did not leave us in our sins. You sent your one and only perfect Son to rescue We thank you so much for Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you for giving us faith and trust in Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that is just stuck in in death and destruction, I pray there would be great freedom 
pray you minister to them as we sing this final song. Lord, we ask this in all in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.